0: What a option What
1: It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday afternoon and even though the Philadelphia Union lost, at least we're not talking about Ben Simmons anymore. So you always have to look on the, the bright side of life as that uh, British guy once sang in whatever song that was called. Welcome in everybody, Kevin Kincaid with you uh, on a day after a crazy union game that we're still trying to process, uh, but we got some help in processing that game with a friend of the program, a frequent contributor, and somebody I always love having on the show. It's Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times. Matt, how are you? I'm good. Don't don't
0: say process. Don't say Ben Simmons.
1: And oh man, that was like a subliminal, maybe a subconscious oh. thing. I opened with talking about no Ben Simmons stuff, and then I said process anyway, so maybe it's... It just lives inside of me.
0: I guess it does. I mean, it's been a while since I've been on this podcast. Rich Paul had said that I would never be back on this podcast. <laughs> he made that call, but I have since changed representation, and as a result, I am here. I am ready to play, uh, and I'm also wearing gray sweatpants with a phone in my pocket right now while I'm doing this.
1: Well, so. listen. If if Matthew DeG- Matt George was able to make the uh, to get over the hump and do what was necessary to return to always soccer in Philadelphia, then maybe there's hope. Uh, For Ben Simmons after all, but we're going to we're going to talk about that later. And by later, I mean, hopefully never. Um, We're going to shift gears to the Philadelphia Union. And like like I told Sean last night when I was doing the uh, postgame show that I had like a list of bullet points. I read the bullet points before doing the postgame show. I still couldn't even wrap my head around what the hell we even saw last night. There are positives uh, in Daniel Goshtar getting a couple goals and looking like a player. And there are a lot of negatives in that. As you mentioned before we started recording, the union looked like the 2015 union in the second half of that game. You and I are kind of known as the snarky Twitter heroes. We're kind of on the Negadelphia side of things, whether that's fair or unfair, I don't know. We'll leave that up to the listeners, but I'm going to let you start. Do you want to start Posadelphia or Negadelphia after last night?
0: So I, I think even the negative side of this game has a positive aspect to it in the fact that the reason it was so jarring to watch the mistakes that led to those goals is because they've been so rare this year. I mean, even with the three goals allowed, the union are still uh, third in the Eastern Conference in goals allowed. They've only allowed 32 this year. They're tied for fifth in MLS and goals allowed. So that's why it was so jarring last night, because they haven't had these mistakes that have led to goals in a very, very long time. And each one of each one of the three goals, there was very clear mistakes that, you know, if Jose Martinez clears that ball, instead of trying to play out of the back, if Olivier Inviso is a little bit less casual in that clearance, if Kai Wagner doesn't take the ball off the foot of Jacob Glesnus as he's about to clear it, you know, there are very clear mistakes that have led to that. And that hasn't happened all year. As a result, I think that it's probably just a little bit of a one-off. I mean, The Union have been so good in Wednesday games. They've been so good on the road. This is their second game in four days in rainy, cold, miserable conditions. uh, And they had some breakdowns. I I think that might be all that there is to it. Uh, We'll see how much this trend continues. As Jonathan Tannenwald pointed out, this is the first time since the first two games of the 2020 season that they've allowed multiple goals in back-to-back games. Great stuff. I think there's also something to the fact that this is the second time they have played the 4-3-2-1 formation, and they've allowed three goals away from home in both of those games. So I think there's something to that. Jim Curtin in his post-game press conference said that there's something to that. Um, so that that part of it's interesting, uh, but I I wouldn't read... Necessarily, too much into that. This is still one of the better defensive teams in the Eastern Conference.
1: I think jarring is the perfect word. It was a word I was going to use actually before you used it, but I can, uh, you know, double up on that and say that, yeah, the mistakes that they were committing were just like a bizarre. Like for their standard, it was just stuff that you would not expect, you know, like Olivier and Baizo just rolling the ball back to Glessis, not knowing where there was a guy behind him. Uh, Jose Martinez. Part of my language, dicking around on the ball on um, two of the goals, and then on the third one, he could have some culpability too because he kind of got sucked out and wasn't able to make a play on the ball, and it left the back line a little bit exposed. But I was I was, uh, was kind of watching it, Matt, and I was like, okay, it's one of those games where like they're gonna like look terrible on defense. It's like just just get it all out, like mm-hmm. just get it all out of your system. You know, it's kind of like uh, this is kind of a gross comparison, but it's like when you're not feeling well and you finally throw up. And you're just like, let's just get it all out of my system, you know? Because then you feel better, right? It's like you got rid of all the bad stuff, in yeah. like it can't be any worse than it was last night. And it was just <laughs> stuff, stuff that's not that's not like so uncharacteristic of them. that's that's why it looks jarring because they are a really good defensive team. You're like, this doesn't look anything like the team that I know.
0: And in terms of stakes, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a lousy game and you're gonna throw up a stinker like that. Might as well be against it in Minnesota in one of the only two games that you have all season against Western Conference opposition. So, yeah. it's you know, it's the only game they have really had outside of, you know, the Cincinnati game. And they have some coming up because they play Cincinnati again and they play um, Toronto. Uh, that those really aren't true six pointers because those teams are dead in the water. But if you're going to mess up, you might as well mess up in this game.
1: Do it now, um, yeah. Before they, before and, it matters, yeah.
0: And it's kind of their lowest stakes game because those that you know that Cincinnati game, that Toronto game, are games that you have to have three points. You have to, you have to take three points off of an opponent that's their season's over. So you know that maybe they've got it out of their system in some ways, and it, it is beneficial in that you know everything, absolutely everything, short of uh, Columbus actually going into Nashville and winning last night broke their way. Uh, in, in MLS last night, so they still have it yeah. in front of them that if they win on Saturday, they are in first. Po- they are in second place in the East if they beat Nashville, um, and they own the tiebreakers over Nashville because Nashville has 37 draws this year or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so they they own the tiebreaker over them. So it's still all in their hands this weekend. To to you beat Nashville, you are in a position to be second in the Eastern Conference you are in position to then host what would presumably be a two versus three game against Nashville in the second round of the playoffs, if you get that far. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the goal this season, I think.
1: Quick look at the table. Nobody's catching the revs. They're 20 points up on Nashville. Nashville's on 49, the union on 46 tied with Orlando Nashville, 11 wins, three losses, 16 draws. Uh, See, we're close. You said 30, it's 16. Uh, Philadelphia <laughs> feels, yeah, feels, feels, feels like 30, yeah. doesn't Yeah, Yeah, uh, Philadelphia Union, 12 wins, um, 8 losses, 10 ties. Um, let's talk about the Christmas tree a little bit because it's kind of – you know I'm a big tactics formation scheme guy and like to talk about that stuff. I think it's always interesting to talk about here and on social media and whatnot. I, I, don't, um, I don't think there's really too much that's different in going from the diamond – to what we saw last night because essentially you're just taking, it's going to be the same front three. They had formations where they had Jamiro kind of at the tent and then they played gosh as a striker, right. Next uh-huh. to another striker. So that front three, the personnel was the same, you know, but essentially you're just kind of flipping the triangle, um, but further up the field. Remember you and me and Dave had conversations in the past, you know, with like in 2016 and 2017, when Jim was still playing four, two, three, one, where they were like, okay, well, what if you'd kind of take that eight and push him up a little bit, and kind of make it like a four-one, four-one, you know, yeah. and then you're kind of flipping that midfield triangle. Essentially they're just kind of flipping the front three around. They're asking Goshdog to play closer to Jamiro. You know, and like the irony is that it it worked in the goal that Goshdog scored the first one because Jamiro was the furthest guy forward. You know, Goshdog found himself out on the wing and they created an overload out there. The ball comes back in. And then it was Goshdog playing off of Jamiro. So even though Jim said what he said about that, and you could debate whether the formation makes a lot of sense, like the goal that they scored was kind of a product of, of them scheming it up that way. Right. And it shouldn't
0: make a difference because if you're looking at the defensive posture, it's pretty much the same. You still have Martinez as the holder and flock and Bedoya in front of them, in front of him. And maybe their starting positions are a little bit different by Five or 10 yards and that kind of stuff. Um, but it shouldn't be all that different. Your back seven, basically, once you, you know, once the other team has the ball is the same and shouldn't make a difference. I find it particularly interesting that they had these breakdowns against Minnesota because, as Danny Higginbotham pointed out on the broadcast, Minnesota had really no desire in pressing all that much. Once you got past those front four, that they were going to kind of, you know, put some loose pressure on, there was a pretty big space between, you know, they play a 4-2-3-1. So uh, you know, Reynoso, Finley, and Frangipani, once you get past those three, there's a pretty big gap back to the two, you know, their six and their eight. Yep. So it's it's interesting that this was the team that you had the breakdown against because you should have had the numerical advantage if they only were attacking with that detachment of four against you know, what is at least five if you have Martinez back. Um, yes. So it's interesting. I think there's something to the way it changes the pressing dynamics, but that didn't really factor into the goals today. Cause it's not like any of any of the goals last night came because of a turnover 60 yards from goal. They came because, you know, a union player passed it to a Minnesota player, 20 yards from goal in <laughs> really in all three yeah. instances. One, one was inside the box in the front of yeah. goal. Um, so, or Fragapone, sorry. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's interesting to see whether that for me, you know, saying that, that the, the, the fourth, thir- the four, two, three, sorry, the four, three, two, one Christmas tree formation saying that that has led to six goals in two games is a little bit of a, Sample size issue. I mean, it was at DC and it's at Minnesota. Those are two playoff teams in their buildings that are pretty good offensive teams. So to say that that's part of it is it's 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 a small sample size to make any judgments on. And it'll be interesting to see because Daniel Gazdag is now playing well. How do you fit him into this team? And if the formation doesn't work, are you going to go back to the four four two diamond? and sit somebody that's in your best 11 just so that you can get a second forward on there. Are you going to basically roll out this same, you know, I think what they're going to do against Nashville is they're going to roll out this same team. The only difference is is that they're going to call it a 4-4-2 diamond and have Gostock play off the, off the shoulder of uh, Shiboko. And whether that changes anything, I don't think it does. We know the way Jim thinks about um, formations, which is that it's a lot it's much ado about nothing. Yeah. Just throw the guys out there, and then they're going to figure it out. So it, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of semantics, but it is an interesting kind of thing to watch going forward. Because I think you're finally at a point where Daniel Gostock is one of your eleven best players, and that's an important breakthrough for this team and for how far they can go this year.
1: I agree with you on all of that. You know, the guys who are on either side of Jose Martinez, you know, their roles are largely the same you know, because it's still that kind of block of block of three across the midfield before you get to the two guys in front of them. Um, you know, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Christmas tree is not a common shape. Like no, nobody really runs it anymore. The most famous team that ran it back in the day was, uh, Ancelotti's AC Milan. And that was sort of a product of the, uh, You know, the talent that he had on that team. I I think that he ran it in the Champions League, uh, not in 2005 when Liverpool beat them, but I think it was when they beat Liverpool uh, in the return in the two years later in 2007. So I think people remember they had like Maldini and Nesta playing center back. You had Marek Jankulowski at left back, Cafu at right back. I I can name this team off the top of my head. I love this team so much. Uh, Andrea Pirlo.
0: This is actually this is actually the team that I started watching when I became a soccer fan. A great introduction. So, was so I, I
1: mean they, yeah, they were so I can game.
0: I can name these along with you, but go ahead.
1: Massimo Ambrosini on one side of Pirlo, Gennaro Gattuso on the other side, a guy who I would have loved to have coached the Philadelphia Union at some point or play for the Philadelphia Union at some point. And then in front of them they had Kaka and they had Clarence Saydorf kind of kind of playing the way that Jamiro and and Gajda were playing last night and then up top they had um, Pippo and Zagi you know so they had a different kind of striker not like a big you know kind of uh, finisher guy like uh, um, you know like Casper Shabilko but a, a poacher and a guy who would tread the back line and whatever and they had a lot of success with it but you're right man I, I don't you know they can flip it around and just call it a 442 diamond and it would be close to the same thing you'd have the same front three up there but you also got to thing like Sergio Santos was giving you good minutes too. You know, before he went out injured, so now you have have some issues. Quinn Sullivan's been good. Paxton Aronson looks like he's fine as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I always think like you always say there there are people with different beliefs in the philosophy of like quote unquote a good having good pro like it's a good problem to have. You know, like some people will say, "Oh yeah, we got all you, these dudes who look good now," but some people say, "Well, it's bullshit because if you have good problems, there's still problems." Uh-huh. You know, so. I don't know if you, if I was getting, putting you in the driver's seat and said, say, Jay, say, just for the sake of the exercise, you got Sergio's back healthy. You got Quinn Sullivan playing well and Paxton Aaronson there too. I mean, how would you roll it out for Nashville on Saturday?
0: Yeah. So the, the thing with soccer math is that one plus one doesn't always equal two. And, you know, I don't think Dostock has really affected games off the bench. So that's something to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Sergio Santos has been able to do that through his career. Um, the interesting. If I were to roll it out for Nashville, uh, I would actually – this is going to sound a little galaxy brain, but I would start – I would actually start Jack McGlynn on the right side against Nashville, the thinking being that Nashville is going to come to Chester. This is overthinking it, and Jim's not going to do this, but they – Nashville is going to come to Chester and try and kill off the first half and play the second half. And if you're the union, you're probably going to be okay with that because you've got, you know, four halves of soccer on your legs and uh, you're in the middle of five games in 15 days. So you'd be fine with that. Um, And that's the way Nashville played last night against Columbus. Nothing happened in that first half and then both of the goals were in the second half. So I would almost start McGlynn on the right side and give Bedoya a little bit of a break and then sub him in at halftime and then have him ready to go because – I think in the the second half of that game, every set piece is going to be a war Um, because that's the way Nashville scores a lot of its goals.
1: Yeah. Um, Two former union players on the field for him last night CJ and uh, Taylor Washington.
0: Union great Taylor Washington. Taylor Washington. The only guy
1: that we've seen actually like reprimanded by Jim Curtin at practice, I think. Um, Well, there was a sequence a couple years ago where he like almost got somebody injured in practice and jim yelled he's like could you at least try to use your brain <laughs> For, yeah. or so, something like that but i remember that was like that was rare because jim when we were all out there together jim kind of like has it jim was ne- well he was never it might be different now but he was never really like a hands-on like i'm gonna jump in the middle and start yelling at these guys it was always like mike sorber's job back in the day you know, mainly, would, it's
0: mainly Noonan's job now. Job now. He's, yeah. he's the one that's a little bit more hands-on. I can't remember <laughs> if Taylor Washington actually played for the Union in the League game. Let's look this up.
1: I don't think he did. I'm sure he got he into maybe one of those open cup, one of those friendlies maybe. I'm sure he played against like like Bournemouth or or something like that. You know, I should yeah. know that. This is what we need Zylin for, is for this uh, random.
0: Let's see uh, what do we got. No, about... <laughs> no, no appearances in the league for. No. How that many? 2016.
1: How many for Nashville? How many games has he played
0: for? He started. He started 11 games for them.
1: That's pretty damn good, man. But appeared... they were playing with that like back three, and they kind of had him as like a left like wing wing back.
0: Yeah, they they flex like... they flex to that late in games sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Lovitz is out right now. Yeah, he's got a foot issue, so that's mm-hmm. part of it. Local um, guy, Daniel Lovitz. Yeah. Germantown Academy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Germantown Academy, no college offers, and. Mm. Now he's a veteran and he's played, for, pro. played for the U.S. national team. You know? um, um, I was in, at least in camp. He was at least in a couple camps. Oh, God. Daniel Lovitz has 13 appearances for the U.S. national team. Wow.
1: Well, I must have slept walk through those. I have no idea what. <laughs> Probably during the Burhalter years when we weren't paying attention.
0: No, a lot of stuff happened during the David Sarriksen years.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I totally forgot about those. I didn't even really know that was still ah, a thing.
0: Yeah. 13 appearances in 2019.
1: Yeah. I'm hoping the Dave Sarriksen years kind of, that's where the Ben Simmons years go with my uh, with my head just into some forgotten corner of my brain where I don't even remember that it was still a thing. Ooh, I'm going, I'm going to have to have
0: a long I am going to reflect on that for a while later. Anyway, um back to the union. Yes. Um I, I I would I would go with McGlynn. I thought McGlynn actually um played well in his short shift last night. He yeah. really can play some audacious passes behind the line. He's, He's got a great. great
1: left foot, man, doesn't he?
0: It really. I yeah. I know everyone's high on Paxson Aronson and everyone's high on Quinn Sullivan and understandably so. They should be every bit as high on Jack McGlynn because I
1: hear I me it. out. I
0: love hear, me a good box to box shuttler. I hear, love it.
1: Hear me out. Bring back Harris Medunian as a coach, uh, have him mentor Jack McGlynn, but have him teach nothing about defense to McGlinn, bring somebody else yes. in entirely to t- teach him how. that cincinnati game the other week like it was the most harris like first eight minutes where he hit this like beautiful left footed pass that only he can hit yeah. and then totally got dispossessed and just pointed at the center back behind him and said here you cover this guy even though i was the one who who fucking blew it you know but uh, i mean
0: i i don't know i don't know if you saw but when uh when aronson when brendan aronson was in cincinnati for the national team he met up with uh with Harris and he's credited Harris as being one of his real mentors for the two years that he was with the union. There uh, it, was you go. Very, it was a very nice little tearjerker moment on Instagram of um, I think they, I don't know if they exchanged jerseys. I don't know how that would work, but they kind of <laughs> met up and stuff like that. I, I assume Harris was in attendance at the game. So yeah, if you brought Harris back to, I I'm sure Jim wouldn't mind that uh, bringing Harris back as a coach, but we'll see what that brings.
1: Yeah. I don't think Ernst would be interested in that it's- from my understanding, because I, I, I think that that was probably the reason that he left. I think it's that Ernst wanted to go a different direction with that position. But, but bringing him back as a coach would be maybe a completely different thing. You know, um, let me yeah. rip. Let me just back up real quick here and just rip through some notes that I wrote down from uh, last night's game. And you you stop me or end or react to whatever you want to um, react to here. Uh, I thought the yellow that Mbizo took at the beginning of the game was ridiculous. Like you just can't take that yellow. Renoso should have been car- I mean, first of all, Renoso could have been carded twice. Number one for just shouldering a guy and not even looking at him. And then the second time for simulation after Mbizo pushed him And I was there was a couple like joke sequences in this game where I was just like, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. The one I uh, was going to do with Kai. Project-
0: when Fragapani went down in the box that absolutely had the only way that yeah. you're going to get this it's it's bullshit the only way that you're going to get it out of the game is if you start giving out yellow cards is discarded and, and
1: Chapman was just sitting there on his and cards you start,
0: oh. and you start you start because of the yellow cards you start getting uh accumulation suspensions that's the
1: only way it gets out that's the, the only way you do it and he yes. just sat on those cards um, I had that written in there oh. Kai totally flopping at the end there i mean i rewound it with uh on dvr about a 100 times and the the Metaneer threw the ball and hit him in the shoulder, then it bounced up and it hit him in the face. And Kai started rolling around in the ground. Kept checking his nose to see if there was any blood in there. There was not any blood in there. It but, the, it's a red, it's a red card. You
0: can't throw a ball at the players. No, no, at the neck area. But he did yeah. make the most of it.
1: No, he did. He did. Um it's violent conduct. Yeah. I mean, you can't chuck a ball at a dude, you get tossed out, you know. So, I mean, whatever works, but there's been some weird disciplinary stuff with this team this year, some like uncharacteristic yellows and some, a little bit of play acting and stuff like that. I don't know if it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to really say this, but I don't think this union team is as, I don't know. I really don't want to say this. I don't think they're as likable this year just because of that stuff. Some of the frustration yellows and some of the stuff that happens at the end of the game. I, I don't, I, I shouldn't say like they're, they're a likable team. They got a bunch of good dudes but I think some of the shit that you see on the field from them this year is different than what you saw last year or in the year prior, a little bit more play acting, you know, a little bit more kind of like being, being dicks and, you know, being dickish and stuff around the referee. Brujo Martinez does a lot of that. I think because he's a passionate player and he, and he cares, you know, but Kai has been a little bit of a frustration in that department. Um, I don't know. Is that Negadelfia on my part to to say that?
0: I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think some of that is that them learning to survive in the Champions League that they That's that they true. picked up a little bit of it. Some of it <laughs> is, I think. Um, I think Jose has a chance to really be a very intelligent player in that way of his gamesmanship. He goes a little too far sometimes, but you yeah. see the the seed of being able to be that you know Gennaro Gattuso like irritant. Um, in addition to the fact that he, he brings it with his play. So I don't know. Some of it is, I mean, they lead MLS or they're towards the top of MLS in terms of yellow cards. And some of that is by design because you want to, you know, when you're a pressing team in the way that I think Ernst Tanner wants them to be, you gotta be diving in on tackles. You gotta be kind of trying to push the envelope and go into guys. So, um, I think some of it can be eliminated and some of it is silly,
1: but um, some of it is kind of by design. Yeah, I think it comes with the territory, for sure. That's just the nature of the scheme and the way they play. Um, two final notes here. Um, number one, the Bedoya flick on at the near post leading to the second goal. I mean, every Union fan can see it coming from a mile away, and it just makes me wonder if opponents are watching tape of the Union on set pieces, because I swear to God, he's like unmarked or loosely marked every single time he goes for that. You know, Minnesota, I rewatched that goal in Minnesota was playing, you know, the line of, of zonal marking of like along the six and they had guys manned up on, on top of it, you know, and like everybody plays that now they play this hybrid mix of man and zone. And so like guys can just kind of attack the near post now, because you're not marking anybody who's that close to goal. And if you watch a union tape this year, but has got that flick on at the near, even last year, the year before, but the hit that flick on at the near post, him and Julie Ertz probably have teamed up to flick on a thousand balls at the near post. Uh-huh. Over the course of and the then, like there, and a- there was and there was the one game
0: recently I don't remember which game it was where they had two corners in a row and Bedoya attempted it at one corner and then they switched mm-hmm. to take it from the other one and Glesnes did the exact same run and it led yeah. to goal. Yeah. It's such an interesting play because the ball is played into an area where if you've got a guy in the near post he can't commit and get out that fast because he's probably got to take five or six steps. Like he can't get out there. Yeah. And the flick is usually done with, if you're doing zonal, somebody who's not a marked man, I assume if you're matching up the union, you're going to, you know, if you've got two guys marking, you're probably going to have three guys man marking mm-hmm. and you're going to match up Casper and the two center backs because they're right. your aerial threats. Right. Then Bedoya kind of has free reign. So they played a couple balls like that where we're you know we're dangerous in the box and Tyler Miller I think had gotten into whatever the whatever whatever juice the Union defense was drinking uh, pregame because he had a couple of uh, yeah puzzling moments kind of flapping at that one yeah South Jersey's own Tyler Miller
1: <laughs> I just um I got one final point here this is actually something this isn't like super related but it was something i was going to bring up before i actually wrote this down before last night's game you know it was the question of sustainability the goals that they're scoring can they keep scoring these goals because they scored four goals over the last four games prior to this one that um i thought were they got some amazing lucky bounces and uh just bits of fortune to go their way first of all montreal you know jamiro hits the free kick it bounces and it goes in Kai blasts that free kick, it bounces, it goes in. The Columbus goal, uh, you know, Jack Elliott with the free kick on the wall that wasn't set up correctly, it bounces twice before it beats Evan Bush. And then, uh, you know, in the Red Bull game, they had the corner kick that bounced twice again, and Red Bull couldn't clear it, had nobody in front of him, and Sergio just had to tap it. You know, so I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, they scored four, like, bullshit goals off of like balls that have bounced and have not been taken care of by the defense. And so I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, is this score- the the goals that they're scoring, um, are, is this maintainable? Is it sustainable? Or do you see, um, when you actually like watch the tape and look at the way the ball's going in, is that bode, um, you know, in a positive way going forward, but Bef- coming into last night, I would say, no, I would be concerned about it, but, you know, seeing the gosh dog goal. And then the second one where they, they kind of get, um, the Doyle, the flick, flick on. Even though Miller's flapping at it, that's that's still goes down as a as a decent set piece goal. So I don't know. Do you do you feel? We know. I think we know you and I that the defense is going to get itself sorted and they're going to be fine. And last night and the night and the game probably was probably an aberration. But do you feel like what you're seeing from the offense is sustainable in a way that they're scoring goals?
0: To a certain degree, no. Only because they've scored 14 goals in the last seven games. I don't think that's a sustainable pace, but then that's on the back of a stretch where they scored four goals in their previous five or six games. So I think the, I think the, uh, the the, somewhere there's a midpoint there and that's probably what this team's rate is in terms of the way that they're scoring goals. You know, I've been puzzling a lot over as we're getting towards the playoffs. I think there's some teams in MLS that are built for, uh, are built to get results over a long period of time um, they are built to consistently get results they're deep teams there's not a lot of drop off from you know 1 to 11 from 11 to 18 and they're designed to have a good season right and then there's some teams that are designed to be really good in one game um, I think Minnesota is a team that's designed to be really good in one game and they're trying to stumble through the regular season to get to the point where that matters. And we saw it last postseason. And I don't know which of those two camps the union necessarily live in. Um, I think one thing that's interesting is that they have, so their top two goal scorers this year are Casper and Sergio and they have 15 goals between them. And that's like one of the lower totals in MLS. That's like 15th or 16th in MLS. So it indicates that they need goals from a bunch of different people. Jim talked about this after the Montreal game, I believe, or before the Montreal game, the need to manufacture goals. Um, So a little bit of it is this is what the union does. Um, I think they have to be smarter than other teams. This is why they lost last night because they defended in a dumb way a lot like they need to take their opportunities to put dangerous balls into the box and see what happens they need to um and this is why they have so many crosses so much of it's just lumping the ball in yeah. um so they need to find different ways to score goals because they don't have joseph martinez who is gonna you know make that same darting run off the shoulder of a center back 15 times in a game and 13 times it's gonna look like crap and the other two he's gonna score They don't have that. They're not going to get that anytime soon. Um, So I I don't think that this current pace of two goals a game is sustainable. Um, I expect the Nashville game will probably be a tight one-goal game, one-one draw type. Um, But at the same time, every team in the Eastern Conference is playing midweek games for these next two weeks. Every team is tired every team is going to have mental breakdowns. So I think part of it is they're going to force these kinds of mistakes. Like you're going to score the, you're not going to score beautiful goals. You're going to score ugly goals because you've got, uh, you know, what do they have coming up next week? Toronto at Toronto, a Toronto team that got absolutely drugged in Miami this week and just wants the season to be over or a Cincinnati team that gave up four goals at home to, to, Uh, to chicago last night and scored the equalizer in stoppage time and then gave up a absolute blast for the for the goal in later stoppage time like it's going to be ugly and that's kind of the point of of manufacturing these goals just by you know maybe just smart plays not giving up set pieces near your own box when you get set pieces near your own box not trying to overthink it and just playing a dangerous ball into the tangle of legs and seeing what happens. I think that's just what it's going to be, and that's just what it is league-wide right now.
1: Matt DeGeorge, George, Sports Doctor, MD. You know where to find him on Twitter. If you're not reading his stuff by now, then he must be living under a rock or not a Union fan because he's one of the OG uh, Philadelphia Union uh, reporters and a frequent guest on the program. We always appreciate having him. Um, anything left that's on your mind that you feel like you would like to share with the listeners, or did we uh, did we touch on it all today?
0: Do we dare get through this podcast without mentioning the name of Mateus Davo?
1: You know, and I was going to ask you about it, but I don't he's think any—I don't think anybody knows what the hell is going on, do they?
0: I and mean, let's just read between the lines. He's just not doing enough to get him on the. On the t- First of all, I, I, I'll say this: I think it wasn't brought up in the post-match press conference because I think it's not even a talking point at this point, and also because I've asked like three weeks in a row if this guy's still alive, and I'm starting to get a little tired of it, and Jim's certainly starting to get tired of it, but. <laughs> I don't think last night necessarily suited him because after the red card, everything gets compact. And if you look at the subs that he makes Fontana Mm -hmm. and Aronson are guys that are going to find the half spaces between a compact two banks of four and McGlynn's somebody that's going to sit back and going to ping balls left and right so that you can try and open. So you try and switch the field. So I don't think that a straight ahead speed guy would have suited that game last night. That being said, we know the way that Jim Curtin picks his team. A lot of it has to do with effort and practice and what you show in the games. Davos gotten one opportunity in a game, hasn't shown much. He apparently hasn't shown much in practice. And, you know, if you want to doubt the way Jim Curtin has selected his teams, he's, uh, you can go ahead and do that, but he's on pace to make the playoffs for the fourth time in five years. So, or fifth time in six years, something like that. Um, So he's got to be doing something right. And the process has to be uh, working in some ways. And sometimes you get duds some you know Ernst Tanner can't hit on every single signing and if the price of getting all of these really good players year after year is that there's a, a Davo and an Orovich thrown in every now and again so be it
1: yeah no sporting director is going to be 100 percent, you know and uh Ernie Stewart would have settled for 40 percent. that's right and the Sixers might settle for whatever they can get for Ben Simmons at this point it may be as I mentioned on Twitter the other day akin to the Freddie Adu and Cleberson swap of 2013, where Doc Rivers turns into John Hackworth and he brings us all into a room at YSC and he says, all right, I'm going to say this one time and one time only and then divulge all the information about what's going on with Freddie Do And for the life of me, I cannot even remember what the hell he said. It was in the locker room at YSC Sports and uh, he's like, Freddie's not going to play and blah, blah, blah. They went and got Cleverson. They sat him on the bench. And then when they put him on the field, he only scored an amazing free kick. So, uh,
0: how much when you said that to the Sixers beat writers, how much stuff did they throw at you?
1: <laughs> I told uh, Galston and he looked at me like I had 40 heads. Um,
0: <laughs> that was also my first that was also my first day on the job at that at my first day it? covering the union was hey, Freddie Adoo do not play here anymore. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh. Okay.
1: Yeah, welcome aboard. And a, uh, and
0: as I recall, it was like a side locker room that we were pulled into. Yeah, it was behind
1: probably, probably yeah, it had was,
0: gear from like one of the kids' teams that plays there or like one of the yeah like the men's leagues or something.
1: Yeah, because they were doing the training up at YSC, you know, it was like cold as shit and we were all up there. And I think there's a picture of me talking to Hacker and I'm wearing gloves inside YSC because it was that cold and uh um I
0: always wonder what happened to those giant banners that they had of union players of old. Well, that's a good what,
1: Dave Ziteland story. I wonder like, that's what happened to that thing.
0: giant 30 foot <laughs> Jack McInerney banner.
1: That is a great, that's a, that is like, got Dave Ziteland written all over it, you know, track it down or like Pablo maybe could do that, you know, like find like what happened to that banner. Was it like, donated to a local soccer group or was it incinerated or you know what did they do with this hanging in somebody's house right now or art studio you Wouldn't know it be
0: wonderful if it was like if they did with it what they do with like uh the the losing team at championships and they they shipped it to the third world and somewhere in, <laughs> in sub-saharan africa there's three yeah. houses made out of a michael farfan banner over 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 a, over yeah. a, over a uh, yeah. corrugated metal base.
1: Uh, they're in so- uh, they're in Namibia and they're wearing 2014 U.S. Open Cup uh, champions T-shirts.
0: Oh man,
1: uh, yeah, that's a good story though. I we'll have to get Dave Zeitlin on it if he can pull himself away from Penn uh, Magazine for five seconds. The return of Dave Zeitlin and the important stories. Um, listen, man, it was fun. I always appreciate you coming on and. Uh, We'll see what happens with the union now. This is my safe space. It's like a respite for me, or is it respite? Respite or respite? How do you say that word? Respite. Respite. It's a respite for me to get away from the Philadelphia 76ers and the Philadelphia Eagles and the Flyers and the uh, Phillies and all that stuff.
0: They are are the most competent team in Philadelphia right now, which... uh, that's how Ooh. I was going to lead this press this this uh, press conference. Press yes, this press conference. This is press, a press
1: conference, yes, press
0: yes. conference. Uh, a press conference <laughs> right? You are interviewing me. This is all on the record. Yeah, two, um, a
1: two person press th- conference.
0: This is how I was going to lead this this podcast of like the most, and it, it felt a little hollow after last night.
1: But uh, on that note, on that note, something just crossed Twitter. Eagles center Jason Kelsey on the Ben Simmons situation: "Quote, everybody can bitch and complain about how tough this city is to play in." Just play better, man, and the city will love you. Which means that I got to log in and write this shit.
0: Which means that, uh, which further <laughs> solidifies Jason Kelsey's Delco citizenship.
1: <laughs> Jason Kelsey, we want the Philadelphia Union to be more like Zach Ertz and Jason Kelsey, less like Ben Simmons, and they will find success in the playoffs. Matt to George, I always appreciate it, man. I'll uh, see you when I see you, all right?
0: All right, thanks. I appreciate it.
1: All right, let's see what you got in the way of questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, Jeff Feldman's going to start us off by saying, I'm not blaming him for the loss, but what do you think, or why do you think that you played Andre Blake last night when he clearly wasn't 100% healthy? Uh, You know, probably just for the fact that even a 75% Andre is still better than everybody else available on the roster. Um, It was a little surprising to see him get beat at the near post on the first one, but... uh, you know, everybody kind of played a role in that, in um, in a bad goal being given up there. Uh, second question from Jeff. He says, "Was last night at the end of the four three two one experiment?" I don't really know. You know, like I was saying with Matt, it just seems a little bit like semantics to me because really the four and the three they're doing the same exact thing that they would be asked to do in the diamond. You know, if you watched. How Jamiro played in the build up, you know, he was the guy who was generally playing deeper than uh than Gajdog, you know. So it was basically like they arranged it that way because they just wanted Gajdog to come back a little bit further and try to get on the ball a little bit more. So call it a four three two one, you know, play four four two and have Gajdog play with Shiboko up front. It's really the same thing, you know, it's the same group of three it's the same uh three man group of personnel up there. So um I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they um see what they do on Saturday. Oh, this is from Union Hulk. Union Hulk check it in. Wait, you won't believe it. But this uh, comment, the question's entirely in capital letters. Entirely in capital letters. It says, when When is Ilsenio coming back? Uh, Does he need Hulk's hamstring? He can have Hulky's hamstring. Uh, Danny Alves is out there, too. Yeah, can he dupe? Stop playing around and go get him so we can win this whole motherfucker. Uh, Also, who is the new Albright? Yeah, that's you know. There's actually you know in their intertwined in the Union Hulk um, thing. There, there's actually a decent question: Who takes over for Chris Albright? Do you need a technical director? Do they have somebody under him who can who can just do the salary cap, roster compliance, gam tam jam ma'am, wham bam? Thank you, ma'am. You know, can somebody else do that? I'm not sure. We'll see if they replace him and uh, with whom, if they do. Trey Hoffner checking in. Do you think we'll see more of the Christmas tree formation after seeing gosh dogs success? Yeah. Same question Jeff. I listen, I, uh, well, the followup here is it says it seems like it highlights the team's strength in midfield. That's true. You know, and listen, it's like, what, what's another way to say like four, three, two, one, like re- really it's kind of a four, five, one, if you think about it, it's just kind of the roles with the, the midfield players are, are, you know, defined, uh, it's more defined midfield roles. I think, you know, if you, if you go back to when the union played four five, one under Peter in 2011, see if I remember correctly, you know, Sebastian was running around up top. They had Roger Torres in there. I think they had Mike Farfan in there, Velko Panovich Brian Carroll, um, Stefani Miglioranzi, I want to say, was in there as well too. You know, so it was still kind of you know the same thing where you got kind of two like creative guys and then three sort of like you know grinder ball winner, you know two way kind of back and forth dudes. So it's it's not I, it's funny because I like talking about formations and shapes and stuff as much as anybody, but it's less it's honestly less about like where you write down the positions on the graphic on Twitter and more about who the specific personnel groups are you know, what they're asking that person to do and what it means within that sh- that structure. So I think all that they're really tr- – we talk about Christmas tree as much as we want, but really all it is is, like, we want Goshdog to drop back and play back a little further, try to play him next to Jamiro, push Jamiro up further at the same time too, and let those guys both kind of have, like, an interchanging free roll and see what happens. So I was saying to Matt, you know, like, the irony is that they do get the goal off of a, of a position where Jamiro is kind of in front of Goshdog and Goshdog's then playing off of him. So that's that's um, a tell right there that it worked the way that they wanted it to now defensively I don't think much was different um, you know and I would just chalk it up the individual mistakes and stuff like that formation or not like the formation doesn't change the fact that brujo's dicking around on the ball or that Ambbiaso doesn't see a guy coming from behind him or the Kai Wagner slips and falls on the ground and then kicks the ball away from his teammate so I don't I don't think the formation had anything to do with the defensive. Um, struggles at all, but I think it did kind of lead to the one goal, the first goal. Uh, it's from Joe M. Should Jose Martinez be playing? Wasteful shots from distance, frequent turnovers, and silly yellow cards. I agree, man. I'm down on Jose Martinez right now. If I got to see him uncork another one from 40 yards, like, dude, you that's that's not your game. It's not who you are. Um, how many of those have you ever scored on, right? So. You know, there's there's not enough of a of a sample there in in anything to say that he should be taking that, you know? It's like, uh, you know, Boban hits a couple three-pointers in the preseason. Okay, you want him shooting three-pointers in the regular season? Okay, not why you got Luka Doncic handling the ball, right? So that's one thing. He's dilly-dallying on the ball. He's trying to do too much. The silly yellow cards. I agree. You know, I'm not – I don't – that's what I was saying in the last podcast, too. I think I made this point to Russ where it's like the difference between Brujo and Flock is that Jose Martinez has a low floor and a high ceiling. Uh, Flock has a high floor and a relatively low ceiling, to, which means that you're getting steadiness out of him. And at the six, that's a position where sometimes steadiness is more value, valuable than um, ceiling, you know? So it is something to think about there, but, you know, Hard to take him off the field because when he's at his best, he's cooking, you know. So he's just one of those one of those kinds of players. Uh, Jack Fritz of legendary check, and he says, "Who's the quickest to go to Europe? Aronson, Sullivan, or McGlynn? Uh, I would say Aronson just for the pedigree, you know, because his brother's doing well over there. The name they're going to be a, they're going to be eyeing him for sure. Um, McGlynn, I think, needs time, but he's got a really good left foot. Sullivan, I think, is. Um, you know has to, has to he's shown some flashes here and there but he's got to like separate himself for sure you know got to show european scouts that there's something more there than just a little bit of a spark off the bench uh, persistent infringement podcast says i love the podcast thank you i appreciate you guys for listening Uh, Does it seem like gosh dog is super right footed. I feel like there are several times per game where he could play faster if he was confident with his left. For example, the centering pass to cash in the second half that he hits with the outside of his right boot. Yeah. And that was one where he kind of got hung up and like kind of caught in two minds. He could have hit a, hit a kind of a tighter angle shot with his left or tried to, you know, bring it back across for a, for a tap in for his teammate. And I don't know. It's hard to say if there was, if he was uh, only, he knows if he's not comfortable with his left foot, you know, but, uh, Regardless, it seemed like he didn't really know what he wanted to do with that one. Um, so it was more of a decision making thing for me. If you were going to say that there's concern is one thing or another, I would say the decision making there for sure. But yeah, you don't see him use his left foot very much. You know, it's like Justin Mapp using his right foot, right? Which is to say that he didn't use use his right foot. Uh, this is from B Christopher McCoyd. Uh, uh when will Jim Curtin's last day be? Oh, a little down. A little down on Jim Curtin, are we, Christopher McHoyd? Um, Jim Curtin's last day will be whenever he decides that it's going to be his last day, <laughs> right? I mean, Jay Sugarman's not going to get rid of him. arts Tanner, you know, is happy with him. They're positioned to go to the playoffs for the X-Straight year, you know. Semifinals of the Champions League, a couple Open Cup finals. Like Jim, Jim's not going anywhere, so... Uh David Pierce says as a former center back, uh what advice? oh that's flattering. Thank you. I was not a good center back, but I am a former center back. He says what advice do you have for defenders to clean their games up? Lots of sloppy play the last few matches in our own box that needs to be cleaned up. Yeah, you got to play with more of urgency and they have to communicate a little bit better. I don't I don't feel like they've been really talking to each other a lot. I feel like there's been a disconnect kind of between the fullbacks and the center backs. Um in terms of assignments and things like that, and you got to understand that, like, you know, you can play a great game for 89 minutes and make one mistake in the 90th minute and, like, you're, you know, the scapegoat for everything that went wrong. Like, you got to be, you got to be, like, on and locked in 100% the entire time. And, like, that sequence last night with Brujo just kind of, like, fucking dicking on the ball again. I think like I've said that word four times, but I don't, I don't have a better explanation for it. Fucking dicking around on the ball. There's, like, three guys around him. He nutmegs a guy to give the ball back, to Mbizo, who just rolls it back to Jacob Glessis. There's no urgency there. There's no, like, hey, like, you know, fire alarms should be going off in your head saying, I got guys, like, all around me. You know, you got to play with some kind of, like, understanding of situational awareness and and what the score is, understanding how far back you are. There's nobody in front of you. You can't make mistakes like the strikers do and just lose the ball because you don't have anybody behind you except Andre Blake. So urgency, communication, situational awareness – um all that stuff I think was lacking the last two games. Uh, Matt Matt Bogard says, um is last night what Goshdog needed to get going? If so, would you trade a loss for it? That's a good question. Would you trade a loss to get Goshdog going? Uh you free- well, I mean if he's gonna play like he did last night, sure. Sure I'll trade a loss for that. And uh you know, it's not there's nothing profound to say here, but you know, when you see the ball go in the back of the net, like it light bulb goes off for you and you just feel like the weights coming off your shoulders, you know, you just feel confident to to carry forward from there. I mean, the second goal we scored was just a tap in. But we've said on the podcast a hundred times before that right place, right time is a skill. You know, being understand, being able to understand where the space is and where other people are. You know, so I give him credit for that second goal too, even though the goalkeeper kind of flapped at it. Right. Uh, Doctor Silent G says is Mbizo the long term answer at right back? I don't know. I'm kind of down on him a little bit. I'm down. I've been down on him recently. Down on Martinez a little bit. Um, the arrow pointing down for those guys for me personally, um Ray Gaddis wouldn't have made that mistake last night right uh Jared has another ambizo question says Jim probably won't do this, but he seems to fall asleep uh the way that he seems to fall asleep, would you give Alvis Powell a shot? He's looked pretty good when he's been in there. I don't think there's much drop off at all between those two, if any, I would feel just as comfortable in there with Alvis Powell as Olivia ambizo you no know, that's the that's the honest truth. Like I, I don't even really see a 1A or 1B between the, both those guys. I think it's pretty much interchangeable at this point. Um, here's just a comment from Kevin. He says, I feel like the Union are still trying to find their identity, which is worrying. Uh, with that said, they look their best in possession and transition in the 4-3-2-1. They need some movement through the lines, and they need more Brazilians. Yeah, they do need more off-ball movement. Like Ka- Kasper, like just looks like a statue at times there, and he looks so clunky and slow sometimes like when he's on the ball. It's nice that he's getting on it more and he's trying to hold it up and get other people involved, but there are some times where he just looks like like uh you know, like a like a deer on like roller skates or something out there. He's just like kinda trying to get the ball out of his feet and trying to hang on to it and like turning you know, his turns are slow and he's like moving like molasses but then he pops up with a goal, right? So That's just what it is. They do need to move off the ball a lot better. The kids do that when they bring them in and sub them in. Uh, Big Mac gets the last one for today. Uh, What is the reason the young talent was brought in during the season if they aren't going to play? I have no fucking clue. (laughs) No clue. He says it's obvious that this team will never be a constant elite team with this ownership. No. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I would agree with that. You know, look, I mean, now is the time, if any, to go for it. You know, because they are coming off a supporter shield and. uh, Champions League, you know, and they didn't spend and they left DP slots open. And, uh, you know, so if Sugarman's not going to buy in and go for it then, then he's never going to. So, uh, you know, that's why I think you got to be impressed with what they've done over the years, because that's still an issue at the top. You know, I know the salaries came out the other day and, you know, there's not, there's never really been a correlation between, to find correlation between money spending and how good teams are. But, you know, you've looked at championship squads in the past, like, Javinko got Toronto title, Josie, you know, Michael Bradley. So I don't think there's any clear, like you spend money, you're definitely going to be X amount of good, you know, but like the teams that win trophies in this league do have million dollars, $2 million, $3 million players. So, um, yeah, I guess there is a a ceiling that they've created for themselves that they're going to hit, but we're going to try to, uh, take the Christmas tree and let the Christmas tree burst through the ceiling and out the window Like uh, Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation. All right, that's it, everybody. Um, I appreciate you all for listening, as always, and have a great weekend.